It's show 89 of the Rim Pro Report. This week we talked to Paul Garfunkel of Intech Leasing and we'll catch you up in the latest industry news. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. If you're on your way to the Prism Show in Vegas next week, this will be a great opportunity to catch up with them and see what they're doing. You need to ask them about RM Bridge, the new cloud-based tool, and see all the ways they can help you in your RIM business. So look for the giant booth at the trade show next week, or optionally, you can learn more about them at O'Neillsoft.com. All right, let's make it happen. Here we go. Welcome to the Rim, Rim, Rim Pro Reports, the one and only weekly broadcast for the Rim support services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. That's just them. Mm-hmm. This show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, it's me and I want to welcome you to this show, show 89. Wow, they keep piling up. Hey, thanks for joining us today. As always, we'd like to explore all kinds of wonderful things on the show and this week is no exception. This week, we're going to spend time on shred truck leasing with Paul Garfunkel, the most obvious expert in shred truck leasing. Paul works with Intech Leasing, and I want to ask him all about what's happening there and what we can learn from him today. Paul is also the vendor liaison on the Nade Board of Directors, so he's very committed to supporting the industry. So we're going to get him on the line shortly, but before we do, let's get caught up on the latest industry news. Iron Mountain has just confirmed a set of new acquisitions. This includes Filehouse Offsite Record Storage in Fredericksburg, VA. Filehouse has been around since 2005. Iron Mountain also announced Document Systems, Inc. is a new acquisition in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, Document Systems has been around since 1992 and services sort of the the coast area of South Carolina. And data protection provider First National Safe Deposit in the Philadelphia area has been purchased as well by Iron Mountain First National has been in business since the early 1980s. So this is a big announcement as uh, Iron Mountain hasn't really uh, done a whole lot of acquisitions recently. Cornerstone Access Retrievex, they've been uh, they've been hot on the trail of others, but uh, Iron Mountain finally pulled one out of the fire there. Way to go. Congrats to Iron Mountain and the owners of the respective companies on these recently announced deals. With the PRISM conference in Vegas next week, I have this suspicion we're going to see another round of acquisitions either announced or emerge in the weeks following. Justin Ullman, president of Federal Record Storage in Chicago, has announced a name change of the company. It's now going to be called RhinoDox. Love this name. RhinoDox is a fourth-generation family business that currently provides services across the full rim spectrum, including scanning, ECM, shredding, media vaulting, and box storage. So congratulations to Justin and the rest of the team on the new cool name. 
Hey, back to iron again. Looks like they're going to start adding solar panels on eight of their facilities on the East Coast. Uh, their press release indicates that the combined impact of the solar initiative will produce more than 5.2 million kilowatt hours of energy in the first year of operation. In a deal with Sun Edison, iron will purchase the energy generated from the systems at a fixed rate for 20 years, while Sun Edison will finance, build, and maintain the solar installations. That's an interesting concept, a great way to stabilize your energy. Energy costs. Pretty cool stuff. Finally, I hope to see many of you in Vegas next week for the PRISM conference. I'm going to be doing a couple of sessions. The first one's on advanced marketing, calling it Marketing 1001. So that will be all about how to sort of look at RIM marketing from a more advanced perspective uh, as it relates to what's happening in today's environment. And I'm also going to be doing a, a more fun session on apps, the whole new world of apps that we're living in. It'll be a cool way to look at the way to use apps to improve your own productivity. I hope to see you there. Well, that's all the news I have for now. If you have anything you want to share with me, let me know. Send me an email, fill out the form on the RIM Pro Report website. Call me, whatever. Send me a thought message bubble in the air. I'd love to hear from you. Hey, I'm going to get Paul on the line. Hold tight. Here we go. Paul Garfunkel is a lease specialist at Intech Leasing. He is also vendor liaison on the board of Nade. Paul, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Hey, welcome to the Rim Pro Report. It's really good to have you on the show. And uh, to get started, tell me more specifically what you do with Intech. Well, I wear a lot of hats at Intech, but generally from the Nade perspective, I generate leases, uh, handle the marketing with Nade News and uh, the internet uh, traffic that we have on uh, for used vehicles on eBay, Craigslist, Backpage. I also handle the social media for you know for Nade uh, through Intech. You're actively involved, obviously, in the Nade world, which means you're actively involved in shred and destruction vendors. So, give me a little bit of the actual stuff that transpires, because you know a lot of the people we have on this show are actually shredders, record centers. Uh, I've never had on this show before someone who is in the leasing business. So, give give me a sense of what a day looks like for you as it relates to doing leases for shred and destruction companies. Well, a lot of my time is spent on the phone uh, talking to people in various stages of the business. A lot of uh, veterans, obviously, but a lot of people that are you know gaining interest in this industry. And looking into it, and then unfortunately, a few people every day that really don't understand what it takes to get involved, thinking that it's a very simple turnkey business and that there's almost no work involved. And when you actually explain to them the dynamic and what they actually have to do to earn a living, and that it becomes a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, you know, obsession to run a successful business, most people in that phase get turned off. And then there's also a lot of people that come in underfinanced, not understanding what the expenses of operating mobile shred truck or mobile operation on a monthly basis is. I've had a lot of people come to the table and tell me they have no money to work with. I'm like, well, then how are you going to make your truck payment? How are you going to pay your insurance? How are you going to pay your diesel? What are you going to pay for advertising? And they get overwhelmed. They, they just say, well, I didn't understand. And so when I explain to them, you know, you have to have some money in the bank. This is not a poor man's industry. Right. Now, that being said, I've had a lot of people have gone in and bought, you know, 15-year-old trucks, not through us, mind you, on their own and uh, had a slow start and actually grew a company. But in, in most cases, we deal with a lot of startups that are you know, coming from like-minded industries or have you know, people that have owned businesses or managed businesses in the past. Right. So they have a business perspective. But I spent a lot of time educating. I spent a lot of time also uh, 
handing people off because it'll be a situation where they don't necessarily have a taste for the business yet. And before I approve somebody or want them to take the next step, I certainly want them to know what they're getting into. So we try to involve, you know, involve our clients, uh, people like Ray Barry. I've had people talk to Bob Johnson, you know, because unless they really understand what they're getting into, you know, signing a piece of paper and uh, having a debt is, you know, certainly pays my salary, right. but it, it doesn't it doesn't make things work in the long run. And what a lot of people don't know, and uh, I'm not ashamed to share it, is that I I bear the brunt of my successes as my failures. Right. At, at Intec, if something goes wrong, I'm to blame. Yeah. So I have a very, very high success ratio because I'm concerned with the, the strength of Intech and its ability to continue lending money. We're an independent business. We're owned by, you know, a family. So if, if we hurt... We all hurt. Right. So I take my licks right along with the company if I have a customer go bad. So I have about a 99% success ratio in the mobile document destruction industry. So I take my clients very seriously. It's not just get them approved and get them down the road. I take an active participation role in their success. I want to make sure that they're going to grow a business and not just, you know, lie on their laurels and pass out and go, well, I give up. Yeah. You know, in, in going on now, it's going to be nine years in September that I've been doing mobile shred trucks, we're going to be looking at a situation where I think we've taken back three trucks at all that time. Wow. Were you the one who, with Intex, started the shred leasing part of the business? Because it's been a truck leasing business for a long time, but what was the genesis of bringing on shred trucks as a part of the leasing program? Well, it, it was actually a two-phase situation. Billy Wrightman, the owner of our company, plays racquetball with a bunch of local businessmen uh, all the time. And uh, one of the guys owns a company by the name of Franklin Miller that they hung around with. Right. And they took a little bit of a, a turn towards this industry a couple of years ago. They specialized in sewage grinding equipment, which is more municipal and really has very little to do with this industry. And they took a, you know, a couple of baby steps into manufacturing a mobile shred truck, and we financed the very first truck they built. Yeah. It was a very arduous process. It actually took four months to build. And what happened was I signed up the guy. I saw his business. He was an existing company. He was doing well. He had good margins. He had great credit. So this looks like a business for us. So I started doing investigations. I found Nade. And I placed an ad on uh, Nade News and got in uh, the bi-monthly email. I don't know if that came first or second. Yeah. But uh, a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call by, from a guy named Greg Anderson with Great Lake Shred in Michigan. And he started giving me this story. He's got a truck he's going to be picking up from Shredfast. His driver's already there being trained, and he didn't like the finance package that was put in front of him. Huh. So he explained the deal to me, and it was so heavy-handed and so brutal. I was like, you know, when I called him back, credit score was out through the, through the roof, business number of years. This guy could read, read and write. No, no problems whatsoever. I'm like, I'm wondering to myself, because this, I'm new to this business, yeah. what did he do wrong, you know, that he's being hit over the head? So by the time I got back to him, I literally asked him, I said, what did you do wrong? He said, what do you mean? He said, well, all right, I'm going to save you. 20, the guy was asking for 25000 down, $25,000 in a certificate deposit, and his, the title to his paid-off shred truck as collateral. I, to me, that was insane. Yeah. So I said, you know, well, we're going to take the $25,000 down, you can keep the certificate deposit. I don't want that. And keep the title of your paid-off truck, and I'm going to save you $250 a month. He said, when can you be there? <laughs> I got in my car and drove there, because after 9-11, you couldn't get on an airplane without, a, without a, a photo ID. And in New Jersey, they didn't have photo IDs yet. 
you know, or they did, or I didn't have one. And I said, well, fine, I'll get behind the wheel of my car, and I drove to Michigan. Oh, that's hilarious. And uh, he was my very first customer. I signed him up, and then the ball just started rolling from there because it, the word started getting out. And when I came to my first Nate event and started walking around and meeting people, it, the, the finance industry in, in this business was predatory because the people that were financing knew what they had. They had people that had nowhere else to go because hmm. banks didn't understand the collateral. Well, so they'll, so they'll look at a truck and they'll say, "Oh yeah, it's fifty thousand dollars." No, it's two hundred and twenty-five because of the equipment. Right. They didn't understand it. So and tell they didn't me, want to hear about it? Yeah, tell me a little bit about that because obviously most people think lease process or or, or or lease process is pretty well established in the sort of standard truck industry, but obviously a shred truck is a very different lease process because instead of like you said fifty thousand, it's two fifty. Now, what makes the the lease process in the shred industry so unique and different. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, the process from our perspective, I can always speak for Intech, yeah. is there's very little difference because we do operate uh, and uh, lease different kinds of uh, equipment that comes into the same type of price range. Our, our actually mainstay and probably about 60% of our monthly business is the tow industry. And they have these humongous tow trucks that tow buses and trucks that can cost into three quarters of a million dollars. Wow. So that's the same situation. You've got a $70,000 tractor with $700,000 worth of back end. Right. So we're, we were used to it from that industry, oh, and okay. it was just a matter of understanding the industry. The tow industry has obviously been around a lot longer because a lot of the things they're going by is they go by actuarial tables. They go, well, this is what it's worth, this is how it depreciates, and this is what it's going to be worth at the end of the lease. Well, there were no numbers. There was no factors out there. You know, even to this day, anytime there's a total loss of a shred truck in this industry, it's like pulling teeth to get the insurance company to understand what has happened. We actually had a customer in, in uh, Massachusetts totaled his truck, and they tried to give him $40,000 for a shred truck. <laughs> okay. The truck was probably worth about 125000 We ended up settling by threatening to go to the Massachusetts uh, Insurance Board. At the last minute, they offered us, I think it was $90,000. Wow. It's not so much the lease stuff, it's the understanding uh, on the back end by other companies of the true value of these trucks is really the issue right. you're saying. Okay. Well, uh, you know, what will what ha- happen is, say you go to your local community bank, yeah. based upon your personal credit and your equity in your home, they'll give you a line of credit and let you buy a truck. Your business fails. Something happens. You know, there's, there's always the hit by the bus theory. The husband owns the company. The wife knows nothing about it. Husband's hit by a bus and dies. What is she going to do with the company? Right. So you let the employees run it to the ground or dissolve it and walk away, and then the bank ends up with the truck. What right. are they going to do with it? They're right. going to put it up at general auction, and the guy that buys it is going to be buying it for the cabin chassis, and they're going to scrap the back end of scrap metal. Right. Okay. It's crazy. You yeah. know, you, you know, a truck that's worth one hundred and fifty to $200,000 could sell at auction for forty dollars or $50,000 because nobody in the auction pool knows what's what's forbid. Yeah. You know, so that's another dangerous part is because if the people that you're borrowing your money from don't understand the collateral, when it comes time to remarket if they have to handle it, which we've done, they, you know, people can get hurt. Right. Because at the end, who's responsible? Is the person that had the loan out on the equipment. Right, right. Now, of the, of the trucks that we've taken back over the years, we've probably come out almost par which is incredible yeah. for, for a leasing company to get you know, its money back on, on repossessed equipment. 
where do people make mistakes then in the acquisition of expensive shred equipment? Where where are some of the you you mentioned earlier that lenders for a certain period of time, anyways, until you guys showed up, were somewhat predatory. But I guess the question comes from the other side: Where are people making mistakes as they're acquiring equipment? Not not so much in the choice of equipment. Uh, although that might be a factor, but from your perspective in the leasing side, the finance side, where do they make mistakes? Well, I, I preach this when I go to shred school to a lot of these people that start up. Some people, and I've, I've had a lot of people tell me, well, I can get a better rate on my money by going to my local community bank and getting a line of credit. That's all well and good. But when you go back to that bank a year from now, six months from now, and you want a $40,000 line of credit because you want a little bit of ebb and flow in your bank account because maybe you just got a new client you need to buy 90 bins and consoles and you're not going to get your first payment for them for 90 days because they're on 90 day net right. well you just had to lay out a whole ton of money which you don't have to acquire bins to pay diesel insurance employees to collect this paper for 90 days before you get paid where are you going to get that money from one of my biggest first biggest failure was a company that did that. They had two major accounts on handshake agreements, went out and bought 300 consoles and lost both contracts. Ouch. Yeah, well, guess where, where's the money? They had no more money in the bank because they, you know, they, they went through everything they had to do this, and then no money came in. They had 300 shiny new consoles and no place to put them. Wow. Because they put their eggs all in one basket. It's not necessarily wrong to get that line of credit. It's your biggest it's investment. Wrong to max yourself out with your bank to do that, right? Because if if you want to go back to them, they're going to say, "I'm sorry, you already have two hundred thousand dollars out with us, and uh, that's too much. We can't. We we don't see the value in it." Now and the, still the no income. Is, one, I don't. I, we don't finance bins. You know, right. that's, uh, unfortunately, I do titled equipment. I do things with serial numbers that I can file a UCC on. But, you know, bins, you know, it's, it's like in the garbage business, it's like garbage containers. They're all over the place. You can never find them. You can never collect them. And collecting them is, is a logistical nightmare. Right. So we just don't get involved with that. That's what we feel the line of credit is for. But the vehicle, we can. And the good thing is, since we're a lease, it's technically a rental. So guess what? We're not reporting. So that debt, that monthly payment, is not reported to your credit bureau and doesn't impede upon your available borrowing. When you go to your bank hat in hand, they're not going to see that shred truck. They're not going to see how much you owe. And I got customers that have three and four trucks that their banks would look at their balance sheet, and even though they're making money and paying everybody every month, they say, oh, you don't have, you don't have enough to, to warrant this debt. You can't have another shred truck. Right. You know, and it's happened before. And it, we've seen it. Yeah. So a lot of times, I guess, I guess what I'm hearing is is sort of improperly leveraging yourself depending on the way you finance your equipment. That that seems to be a mistake you're seeing in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah, because it it limits your ability for growth. Because these ba- these day banks are saying no to most everything. Right. If you're not tied to a, um, a mortgage or a physical piece of property, they really don't want to do business these days. Right. And the strength here is that one that we're independent, so it's our money, and two we understand this business like no other because. What uh, we haven't even touched upon is that we own and operate a mobile document destruction company, and they operate in the same building. So I see what happens every day. I know what what it takes to run a shredding company because I see it. We work arm in arm with those people. So we, uh, so let's like, yeah. Tell me more about that. That's interesting to me. I didn't know that that was a connection. So tell me more. Yeah. Well, what happened was the my, my initial truck guru in this business uh, 
was a gentleman that had been in the storage industry all his life, and he spent three years investigating and wanted so badly to get into this business. And it's one of those situations, one is before I knew enough about the business, because he was, I think, our third truck. Yeah. And uh, he took possession of the truck and found out it was work, and he was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> so he's like, you know, at that, at that time, you know, we took a look at ourselves. He, we could have tried to remarket the truck back then. It was a little harder than it is now, because... It was there wasn't so many used trucks on the market then, and it wasn't very well known how to do it. Right. And what happened was the vice president of our company, who's uh, Billy's son Adam, took a hard look at it. And said, you know, we're supporting this industry. I don't see any reason why we don't just take it over. We have the assets, we have the bins, we have the, the, the business. And they worked out a deal with the guy, got him out, hired uh, Joe Coletta, which everybody in Nate does, Joe. And Joe's been running the company ever since. Wow. See, I I didn't. <sighs> You know, I, I've been in this industry a long time, and I didn't make that connection. So that's that's kind of cool. Well, we we weren't very public about it yeah. in the very beginning because there was there was always the the thing of a conflict of interest, right? Because yeah. I have nothing to do with the shredding company, but it, as it turned out, our you know my, one of my biggest customers trades business with them, so it worked out really well. And you know, I was a little nervous at first about putting it out, and our first uh, first was we didn't talk about it. Then we started only talking about it a little. Now we're just, you know, we're telling everybody. Yeah. There's well, no problem. Well, it gives you an in, actually, inside track that you, at least even remotely, brother-sister kind of company thing, that you, you have an inside track on what's actually going on within the industry. So it gives you an unusual look at it maybe that no one else has, such as banks, community credit unions, those kind of things. Correct. Because, I, I mean, although I don't deal with it day in and day out, if I have a question about operations, walk across the room and ask. The great thing is when I have people that are looking to get into this industry, if they're not too far away, we offer them, come on down. Spend a day with the guys. Go on a truck. See what it's like to work. Right. And I've had several people come in. I've had people I had approved for, for leases fly in here instead of me because I generally fly out and meet all my clients in person when I sign them up. Right. And I'll have them come here in lieu of me coming to them, sign their contracts after they spend a day with our shredding company so they're sure that this is what they want to do. Right. Because until you actually do it, Right. So it's it's kind of hard to, to say, well, I can do this. Yeah, there's no easy you know, button. I, I think so many cases where people are looking for an easy button, the reality is the shred business isn't an easy button business. It really is not. No. Yeah. no. And it's a constant learning environment. It's, it's really the kind of thing that if you don't keep educating yourself, you're going to fall behind the time. There's so many changes that have happened in this industry since I first got in. I mean, a lot of people were just operating with a cell phone and a a public storage facility, no website, and now social media is getting really, really big. You know, you, you got to learn, you got to grow. Yeah. You know, the, the only way you're going to get the word out there is by being on top of everything. Yeah. What's one thing you wish people knew about uh, truck and equipment leasing? Because you've talked about some of the mistakes they make, but what's one other thing you wish they knew before they got to that point where they're about to sign on the dotted line to to get involved in it from a financial perspective? we pretty much touched upon where I would have gone with that okay. is, is the knowledge of how a bank would limit you and limit your growth. Right. Because you know, if you start with them, you know, it's, it's, it's a little harder for us to, to, to take on the, on the chin a company that comes to us for their second truck when they're with their bank on the first truck. I like to grow with people from the beginning because what most people don't even think about is the second truck is a lot harder than the first one. Hmm. The first truck builds on its own, and then the second truck tends to grow at a slower pace. So a second truck, you, you might not be ready for a second truck when you are when you think you're ready for a second. 
Okay. So we get a lot, of, a lot of people that want to jump to that second truck faster than they should. So I don't have, you know, it's a little harder when I don't have experience with them, how they, how they you know, we can see from the credit bureaus how they pay their vendors and everything. But I don't really have a feeling for those people to the point that I'm so comfortable. I go, you got it, whatever you need. Right. But if I grow with you and I've been I'm talking to you every month since you started your company and, and you say I need something, I'll, I'll have a character knowledge in my gut that I know that you're ready. Yeah. I've got plenty of people that I call on a first-name basis that I know all over the country. And if they call me and tell me they need something, I know they need it and I don't have to worry about it. Right. And you know, that's what I position I want to be in. I, although we've done plenty of second and third trucks, I'm a lot more comfortable starting with somebody than continuing with them. And that's, a lot of people think that's odd because they say, well, they already have a proven track record by the time they get to the second truck. I say, yeah, but I don't know how they got there. You know, I need to know how they got there. Did, did they, they take out a large you know, down payment money out of their, their mortgage, or did they get a, a line of credit for their operating expenses and they're really not, you're not, they're not paying their bills like they should, that they're paying it out of money that's in reserve as opposed to money earned. You know, it's, it's, it's a little harder that way. It's yeah. just nice to see them from day one and see where they came from and what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I, I assume because the perspective you come to this conversation with and the business you work in is from a financial perspective and you're looking at the risk of a particular client of yours, but I assume, you know, behind closed doors, you guys are also actively watching the industry and the metrics of the industry and the growth and that. What's your perspective on the current state of the shred industry where's it going are you continuing to see high growth in terms of new shred trucks and what that means to your business what what's your perspective well i i kind of noticed a pattern going back a couple of years ago that it seemed like it was an every other year thing oh hmm. five was a tremendous growth year oh seven was a tremendous growth year but it kind of leveled out after that I, I don't think we've hit market saturation or are anywhere close to it yet but I think a lot of the problems are is there's a lot of smaller companies out there that are selling their, their service based on price. And now what's going to happen now is there's going to be a lot of attrition. These smaller companies that didn't have the foresight to realize they're selling a service versus a commodity are going to get hurt because the price of paper is plummeted. Right. So right. a lot of these companies are going to start to, to go under. And the good thing is none of them are my clients. <laughs> <laughs> Because we try to educate, and that's the, the, that's the first battle cry we give. You sell yourself bet on paper, you're going to go down. Right. Paper is always an afterthought. That's the money that you use for yourself. Yeah. You know, for build, if you want to build, build your company with it, fine. Don't count on it as a stream of income. Right. Because don't count, on, don't count on it to pay your truck, your, your truck lease payment every month. Right. right. Don't, don't count on it to pay for anything. Right. Count on your, your, your income stream from shredding. Right. Because there's a big difference between $200 uh, a ton and $100 a ton. Right. You know, it's, you're talking about, you know, say, well, it's only $100. Yeah, it's half of your shredded paper income. Right. Most people don't see it that way. They go, it's only, you know, it's only a small change. Yeah, it's half. Yeah. $20 is a big, big swing. Oh, yeah. And there are plenty of companies that counted on that. There are companies out there that were giving shredding away. You know, because they wanted the $225, $250 they were getting for paper at that time. Yeah, and that one's come back to haunt them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time. Based on this conversation you and I have had already, uh, I've read a lot and I've talked to a lot of people in this industry. And you, you often get praised as more than just a leasing consultant. You're 
you're a guide, a consultant, a uh, cheerleader, a mentor, whatever you want to call you, you're doing a lot of stuff. But it seems to me that that to get to there, you got to have some kind of passionate belief about this industry. So what made you so passionate about this industry? What What's kind of the driving force that, that makes you more than just somebody loaning people money or leasing them a truck? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a, a few different things. Before I, I got into mobile shredding, my majority of my customers were guys with box trucks, dump trucks, tow trucks, and they're the kind of customers they come and go, and they they're, they're not part of your life. You don't, you know, they they you know, unfortunately, just become numbers. Some of them, yeah. and occasionally you'll have people you have a connection with. With shredding, it seems like first of all, with the dollar amounts that are there, you know, they they feel like you know, you need to babysit them a little bit, and you know, when you when you look at the industry from from the outside. You're talking about helping to build an independent American business that buys its product from independent American business. Yeah. So most of the shred companies, I mean, I'll, I'll count the guys in Canada, it's North America. Product's not coming from China. The product's coming from North America. The, 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 you're also building a, a, a stream of recycling. You're cutting down the number of trees, cutting down. You're uh, taking, taking, you know, helping people fight identity theft. It's just, it's just a, such a dynamic industry, and it was just so exciting to me. I was only here two and a half years when I first learned about it. Hmm. So it's become a huge part of my life. And, you know, the honest truth is it's, you know, it's, it feeds my children. Yeah. So, you know, if, if something's going to take care of you and your family, if it doesn't become interesting and part of your life, you know, shame on you. Well, and it seems to me that you you have really addressed that, and you know you're actively involved in the industry so much so that even this year you're on the board of Nade as the vendor liaison. So tell me what was the what was your desire to get involved in the industry, and and then maybe more so, what do you hope that you bring to the industry, specifically the Nade industry, over the next year or so? Well, I mean, the reason I did it is uh, one, I wanted to get back, and unfortunately, as a vendor, that's the only position I couldn't get on the board in any other way or any other function, so the only way I could participate is, is vendor liaison. Uh, I feel I have a little bit of a knack for communication. I'm very active on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and uh, I do constant contact. So I felt that it, to this point, you know, as much as people had the right intentions, the message wasn't getting out that we need to organize and we have to discuss things together instead of complaining in dark rooms not talking about it. And in all my time in Nade, I never got a single contact from a Nade vendor liaison. I never got an email. I never got a phone call. I was like, you want to know something? These people need to be pushed in the right direction. So I started, you know, even running my campaign. I sent out a constant contact letter to every single active Nade vendor. Hmm. So everybody knew who I was, what I was looking to do, that I was looking at their best interest and heart. And so far, it's working very well. The the the, the uh, issues that have come to the table through my organizing and contacting people were presented to the Nade board. And the honest truth is, the funny thing they were right on board with most of it. It was like it was almost like they just needed to be told. Right. So right. it's you know it's not a matter of that they didn't want to help, but if no one says anything, no one knows there's something wrong. Right. You know, so it's a matter of you know trying to you know keep everybody you know boat rowing in the same direction. You know, oars going the same way. You know, and it just feels also good to, you know, to be involved. Yeah. No, these are people that I've known for years. Most of these people that are on the board are people I've known socially, you know, through, through Nate for, for, you know, almost a decade now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it works for me. You yeah. know, it's, it's just a way of also me 
knowing a little bit more about what's going on, getting you know a little bit more of a pace on the industry. Because obviously anything that, that helps my knowledge of the industry helps my ability to do my job. So I'm always intrigued by a person's story, and we've you know we've talked a lot about what you do and your perspectives on on leasing and the industry and stuff. But you, you've got this really intriguing story that I, I I've kind of dug into a little bit because you're relatively open on social media channels. But your first stop in your business world journey seemed to be at Radio Shack. So tell me about that very first experience at Radio Shack. What did you learn there that you still use today? Basically, and I've always said this about Radio Shack. Radio Shack is the one company in the United States that you have to be extremely overqualified to work there. It seems like to do that job correctly, you have to know more than someone who is earning what these people are earning. And I I was a trial by fire situation. I uh, actually had been working several different jobs, and one of my best friends was a manager at Radio Shack. Give it a try. And my my first couple years, they were kind of rocky only because... Uh, what most people don't know about Radio Shack is every three months they do an inventory. Every time management changes an inventory, and every time there's an internal theft problem, there's an, an inventory. And back then it was green bar, pen and paper, every oh, little yeah. chip, every resistor, every right. battery, and the store closed at night and you stayed there till it was done. And I remember time. back back in the day, uh, Radio yeah. Shack had a lot more little tiny tiny stuff, oh, yeah. then there'd be a whole section at the back of the store with with uh, little electronic doodads of every shape and variety. It's become much more you know, electronic in its focus now, but back in the day, that's mm-hmm. what it seemed to be. So yeah, I can see how inventory would be brutal. Uh, but along yeah. the way, you've, you've been involved in finance, you've been involved in publishing, and apparently even an LP record shop. When I first looked into your, uh, your history, there was this records business and yeah, I dug a little bit further, and it wasn't a records business as in what we would consider in the records and information management space. It's like LPs, and you still sell LPs, don't you? Yes, I've been doing it for quite a long time. I started uh, the retail operation in 93 with a partner, and he took off at the end of our first year of uh, the lease of the building. So uh, I, I discovered the Internet in 1994, and... Uh, put uh, together my website, and I've been on the Internet since then. I uh, did a lot of stuff on eBay, obviously, and uh, actually today my uh, my business is run by Amazon. Wow. So I'm basically just you know filling orders to them. My webpage is just a direct link to Amazon. This makes things a lot, a lot yeah. easier. It's actually the funny part is that when I started working for Intech, I took my attentions away from it because I was so busy with Intech. And then, you know, as I, you know, I kind of missed it and got back into it. And the funny thing is it's gotten very lucrative over the last couple of years. Because what most people think is, you know, all records are over, they're done. Well, the truth of the matter is, since uh, the, the advent of CDs and the records first plummeted and they really stopped making them, they've actually gotten more popular. And turntable manufacturing is almost doubled every year for like the last 10 years. Yeah, so well, high-end high audio, yeah, the diehards yeah. and high-end audiophiles love that stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've always, my, my, my little speech to people has always been, no one's ever been able to improve on Thomas Edison. Right. See, the three major inventions that he made were the light bulb, the moving picture, and the record. Yeah. No one's improved on a light bulb, basically. It's still a filament in a vacuum tube. Motion picture is still a piece of film moved in front of a light bulb. What makes you think that someone can increase the ability that he did with a turntable? Yeah. And to this day, what most people don't understand is the BBC in England, their permanent storage method of recorded media to this day is still vinyl. Wow. Because wow. compact discs have a shelf life. 
Yeah. Records don't at this point. There are over 100-year-old records that still function the way they they did day one. Well, very cool. Uh, A record doesn't even get get worn until it's like in the 200, 300th play. Wow. Well, man, it's it's very interesting to talk to you. It's been interesting to hear your story and your perspective. And I, like uh, many other people in the the extended industry, specifically those around Nate, uh, appreciate your your investment in the uh, work you do in the industry, and especially uh, this year as you've uh, you've sort of elevated that role to be a, a board member of Nate. So, thanks for all the work you do. I appreciate you being on the show today and sharing your perspective. I, it, it's been great talking to you. No problem. Anytime. Hey, 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 there we go. Another great uh, week on the Rim Pro Report. Special thanks to Paul Garfunkel for being a part of the show this week. I thought it was a great interview. I've never talked to anyone in the lease business before, and it was great to have Paul on the show to share some things with us that I had not thought about before. So hopefully they helped you. Thank you for being here. I always appreciate you being part of the show. As we finish, so let me remind you that this show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. Their award-winning AT&T certified RS mobile software connects field service staff to the back-end RS SQL database, allowing them to do more of their tasks without having to return to their desks or workstation. Designed to be easy to use but providing powerful functionality, RS Mobile allows you to carry out work once with the philosophy of do it right the first time, saving you money and increasing revenue. If you want to learn more about RS Web, RS SQL, and RS Mobile, you can do so at O'NeillSoft.com. That's it for us. We are out of here. Have yourself a wonderful week. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com, where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.